And Lord, we declare here that we are a resurrection people. We are people who have gathered here today because Christ has risen from the grave. And Lord, we thank you for the hope that that gives us in our lives. And Lord, we thank you that that means that the darkness will never overcome the light uh, and that we can live our lives with the comfort and the assurance, Lord, that you have risen from the grave, that you are our savior and that all will be well. So Lord, open our hearts now to receive from your word and Father, we pray that in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would clear all obstacles in our lives so that we would be those who would receive all of the goodness that you have planned for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Please take your seats. Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, lovely to see you. Uh, good morning, particularly to our uh, guests uh, this morning. My name is Stephen. I'm on uh, pastoring team here, one of the parish readers here. And I want to begin this morning by asking you a question. And the question is this. If I were to ask you to name something that makes Northern Ireland people unique, what might you say? Now, we're not going to do this as an open question where you call things out because I might dread the answers uh, that you might give. Uh, so I'm going to give you some suggested answers that come up in surveys. Surveys have told us over the years that one of the things that makes us unique is our renowned hospitality. They've also told us that some of the things that make us unique are the way we talk, the, the little phrases that we use, our dry humor, that good old ability to poke fun at ourselves, and also some of our peculiar culinary delights, the Ulster Fry, or my particular favorite, the good old Tato Crisp Sandwich. Hard to beat, hard to beat. But one of the things that sometimes uh, is left off these lists of what makes us unique, and yet I think is very important to who we are, is the good old Sunday afternoon run. Now, if you're not from this part of the world, let me assure you that when we in Northern Ireland talk about a good old run out on a Sunday afternoon, it involves no physical activity whatsoever. The very most it will involve is you walking and getting into your car. That's it. Because when we talk about a good old run out on a Sunday afternoon, we mean basically passing the time driving about, taking in the sight, seeing who we see, uh, but there's no particular agenda behind it all. And I was thinking about this recently because I came across a survey, and it was a survey online that asked people to name their top three destinations for a good old Sunday afternoon run out. And you know, I got the impression from the survey that people weren't exactly taking it seriously. Uh, you judge for yourselves. Here are the answers. Answer number one, destination for a good old Sunday afternoon run out, Twinbrook. I'm sure it's lovely. I don't know it. Um, uh, answer number two, uh, a spin to the Craigavon roundabouts. But it was answer number three that really got me. Answer number three was this, a trip up the Antrim Coast Road, so far so good, but then the person went on to stipulate some conditions. The trip up the Antrim Coast Road must begin in Larne and end up in Port Rush because nobody wants to end a good day out in Larne. 
very harsh, very harsh. So who comes from Larne? <laughs> Anyone any particular attachment to Larne? No? Oh, oh, Sarah does. <laughs> Sarah likes Larne. <laughs> I was about to say that I agree with the survey, but I completely disagree with it. Uh, Larne is a great place. We often talk about journeys in terms of destinations, about where we are going to end up. And today is the second Sunday in this season that we call Advent. And Advent means arrival. It is the coming, the arrival of someone or something. And for the church in this season, it is a time uh, specially built in for us to take a step back and to think about the amazing reality that God came in human flesh to be with us, to die for us, to rise again for us, so that all of us who have placed our faith in him would experience new lives in which sin and darkness and death do not get to be the last word in the stories of who we are. And that is what Lydia's baptism, that is what Lydia's journey signifies today, the beginning of a journey of faith in the light of Christ who has conquered the darkness of evil. So, destinations are important. Of course they are. But journeys are important too. And the great journey of life that we are all on is really important. Because unlike the people of God in the Old Testament that we've read about so much recently in our uh, Immersed series, who had waited for generations and generations for the promised Messiah to come, today we wait for him to return and to make all things new, ushering in a new heaven and a new earth. So all of us here today, all of us live in this great in-between age where we wait with hope, we wait with expectancy, but we also wait being alert to some of the obstacles that can prevent us from receiving all of the good things that God has planned for us in this age and in the age to come. And the thing is that some of those obstacles can be things that we have done in our past. It might be a distant past, or it might be a very a more recent past. And sometimes we do things in our past that seem to trap us in a burden of guilt or a burden of regret. And the result of all of that is that we can end up feeling separated from God, and then we end up missing out on his peace and his assurance. So in the reading that we had this morning from Isaiah, we read that the people of Israel found themselves defeated by a foreign army, taken prisoners, carried off into a foreign land called Babylon. Their homeland had been overtaken, their temple had been destroyed. But here's the difficult thing. The difficult thing about all of that, and I think the thing that makes us quite uncomfortable when we read all of that, is that in this occasion, they had no one to blame for their plight but themselves. And that is a very uncomfortable truth for all of us, for every human being. 
they had turned from God's ways. They had done their own thing. And the result of all of that was they experienced a time of suffering and a time of sorrow. But it was a self-inflicted suffering. And it was a self-inflicted sorrow. It was a suffering that need not have been. And it was a suffering that makes us feel extremely uncomfortable when we read about it and when we hear about it. Because who here has not experienced times in our lives when we have turned from God's ways, when we have done our own thing? And as a result, we have found ourselves in our very own valleys of confusion and chaos, loss and pain as a result. The Bible is very, very clear that there are consequences when we behave in this way. And it's also very clear that exile is not just a geographical concept. It's very clear that exile, much more importantly, arguably, than a geographical exile, also describes that sense of emptiness and loneliness, that sense of drift that we can feel in the very depths of our soul when we are estranged or separated from God, dwelling in this land of remorse, dwelling in this place of regret, because deep down we know we have strayed from His ways, and the result of it all is this vicious cycle of sorrow and despair and guilt and shame and fear. And before we know it, any single one of us can end up in our very own Babylon if we are not alert. It might be our thoughts. It might be obsessive thought patterns, negative thought patterns. It might be our words. It might be bad habits that we fall into. It might be our deeds, the things that we do, or it might be the things that we have left undone. Any of these things can take us down that road that is marked exile. And when we get to that place, it can be very dangerous indeed. Because what happens when we get there is that we start to think that the thing that we have done is too great. It is too shameful. It is too violent. It is too awful. And exile is the only thing that we deserve. For all of us who have been there, for any of us who are in that land this morning, then take heart from what God is saying to us in His Word this morning. Because God's Word is reminding us today that He didn't step in and condemn the people of Israel when they ended up in exile. His response was not to say to them, you got what you deserved and you're going to live with it forevermore. And they had done some pretty awful things. God is not in the business of crushing people. God is in the business of transforming lives and of lifting people out of exile. Listen to what he cries out to the people of Israel. Comfort, comfort my people. Not in some sentimental way, but in a way that says, I know everything you've done. 
I have seen everything that you have done. I have seen the utter mess that it has caused. But I've also heard your cries. I've also seen your heart. I've also seen your despair. And I am going to lead you out of this if you will let me. If you ever feel that you are like a captive, living your life like a captive to something you did in your past, and you begin to think that you're somehow condemned to a life of obsessively telling yourself, if only I'd done this, I should have done that, then take hope this Advent. Because yes, there are many, many things that we all do that can end up taking us into places of exile from God. But the light of hope burns even in those places. And the road to exile is never a one-way street. There is a way out. Because Babylon is never where God intended us or wants us to be. Babylon is not our true home. It is not what God wants for any of us. That is why he instructs Isaiah, speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Because God knows that when we end up in these places of exile, we are extremely vulnerable. I have been there. Many of you, almost all of you, have been there. And maybe some of you are in that place today that there's something in your life that need not have happened and you feel like you're a prisoner of it. You feel like there's this kind of bunch of chains that are wrapped around you and somehow you keep just telling yourself that you will never escape from all of this. God understands that the people in exile are hanging on by a thread. He knows that they do not need condemnation. He knows that they need words of comfort, words of encouragement, words of hope. And that is why he speaks so softly and tenderly to our hearts. And he calls us back to him. Yes, it is about repentance, admitting we got something wrong. But it's also about knowing that repentance is not about shame. It's about coming home. It's about saying I'm turning back to the only place where I know that I am forgiven and I accepted and I am loved, and that is in the embrace of Jesus Christ. That is why it is so significant that these words that we read today from Isaiah are echoed by John the Baptist at the start of Jesus' earthly ministry. Because when John the Baptist was proclaiming the need for repentance, he was echoing these words of Isaiah. He was saying, it's time to come out of exile. It's time to come to the place where you'll finally feel at home. And that place is in the embrace of Christ, who tends his flock like a shepherd, gathers the lambs in his arms, and carries them close to his heart. 
as with every physical journey that any of us will ever go on in life, each and every one of us can so easily end up taking a wrong turn that leads to a destination that we would not have set out to be on and we didn't intend to get to. And sometimes a voice in your head will try to say to you that when you get to that place, you are beyond God's mercy. That you've got yourself to such a bad place that there's just too great a distance to travel back and that you will never make it back into God's embrace. If you ever hear that in your head, please know that that voice does not come from God. How do I know that? Well, look at what the Bible says. The people of Israel felt that they were also beyond God's forgiveness when they were in Babylon. All they could think about, sometimes like all we could think about, is the great distance separating us from God. For them, it was like a physical series of mountains, valleys, all sorts of difficult terrain. For us today, sometimes we can be tricked into thinking that that thing we have done in our past is so immense that God's forgiveness and God's mercy and God's restoration is out of reach for us too. If that is you, if that is ever you, then rebuke that voice in your ear and listen instead to what God has to say about all of that because what God says about all of that is that every valley shall be raised up and every hill will be made low and the rough ground shall become level and the rugged places shall become a plain, flat. In other words, what God is saying to us here is that he is assuring us that he has prepared a way for us to come home and nothing will get in the way of all of that. There is no situation, there is nothing we have done that can separate us from his love, his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness, and his comfort that he longs to pour out on his people. Here is your God, Isaiah exclaims to Israel. Here is your God, the one who comes to you in the depths of guilt and despair and pain and gently calls you out of them into his arms because that is who God is. At the heart of Isaiah's words lie this promise that when we come out of exile the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. These words are referenced, as we said a moment or two ago at the beginning of Mark's Gospel, where John the Baptist is preparing people for the life-changing ministry of Jesus. The message then, as the message today, is that all of us, every single one of us, can have comfort of knowing that the penalty for our wrongdoing in the past has been paid. Why? Because Jesus himself journeyed for us to that place of exile, to that place of darkness, to that place of shame, to that place of feeling separated from the love of the Father, to that place where he was overcome with sorrow. And he did all of that so that we would never have to. 
so that we would never have to go there, so that we would never have to experience the pain of being there, and so that if we ever did end up there, we wouldn't be condemned to a fate of spending all of our life there. That place is called the cross. That place is called the place of forgiveness. That place is called the place of grace. Here is your God. Here is your God, dying a lonely, humiliating death in our place, paying the price for those things in our past and our present that we have done, and yet stretching out his arms on that cross with a love stronger than death, and in the process, calling us to embrace the power of his forgiveness. Here is your God. Here is your God, breathing his last, after which the earth shook, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, signifying that we might never need to live in separation from God again, but also smashing into tiny fragments those chains of guilt and regret and burden that tie us as prisoners to our past so that you might go free and so that you might know what it really means to live. Here is your God. Here is your God speaking tenderly to you today and saying to you, whatever that thing in the past, whatever that thing that's holding you back, whatever that thing that you obsessively keep looking back to and thinking that somehow it is beyond his mercy and redemption, saying to you tenderly, today is the day to come out of exile. Your penalty has been paid. It is finished. Let's pray together. Father, Lord, we thank you for this wonderful reminder that none of us uh, is beyond the grace and the mercy and the love and the forgiveness that you have for us and that you long to pour out for us. And Lord, I just want to pray for anyone here today who is carrying some sense of remorse or guilt or shame from something in their past, Lord. Father, we just take a moment that if anyone is in those situations, Lord, and has never confessed that to you, has never handed it over to you, has never asked for forgiveness for that thing, Lord, that they would just do it now and just hand it over, knowing that your arms are outstretched uh, to welcome us and that you long for us to come home to you. And that for all of us who have done that, who have handed those things from our past over to you and said, Lord, take them, forgive us for them. Lord, I pray that you would flood us this day with a sense of your mercy and your grace and your comfort. And that we would be those who would say, 
that since we believe that Christ died for all, even for me, that we also believe that we have died to our old life, that because we are in Christ, we are a new creation. And Lord, we declare over ourselves today that the old has gone and the new is here because you were reconciling the world to yourself in Christ and that you are not in the business of counting our sins against us. So Lord, today fill our hearts with joy that it is finished, that that thing is gone, that the chains are smashed into smithereens, that we are yours and you are ours. And take us further and further in that journey of discipleship with you, where we would know more and more joy and peace and confidence and assurance in our lives. And all because Jesus has paid the price for it all.